0: We're 24 hours removed from Oklahoma's first loss of the season to the Kansas State Wildcats. Has anything changed from that front? We're going to talk about that. And we're also going to dig into what does Oklahoma still have going well for it on today's episode of Locked On Sooners.
1: You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. Today's episode is brought to us by LinkedIn. We'd like to thank LinkedIn for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash Locked On College. Terms and conditions apply. He's Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Josh, 24 hours out, we've had a little bit more time to kind of digest this from our live stream after the game last night. So just overarching feelings. Has much changed for you in the 24 hours since we last talked?
1: I don't know that necessarily a bunch has changed. It's still, you come away from this and you're asking yourself the questions of how did how did Oklahoma go from that defensively uh, in, in really the, you know, I mean, what? You had the... Second quarter in the opener that was kind of up and down defensively. But, you know, the first drive at Nebraska, obviously. But other than that, it was was great defensively for Oklahoma. Just the overarching question. I don't know that it's changed for me. uh, Still disappointed that Adrian Martinez was able to come into Norman and throw and run for the amount of yards that he was able to throw and run for against this Oklahoma defense. He looked great, John. After a week of you and I sitting here and kicking it around, talking about – you know, uh, how is Adrian Martinez? How are these Wildcats going to be able to throw to beat Oklahoma? Ultimately, I have to just sit here and say the dunk tank is live. You can hit that button and send me down into the water because uh, ultimately he kind of made a a bunch of what I said look sort of silly.
0: Yeah, and uh, you're welcome, Adrian Martinez, for all the bullets and board material that I've provided for you over the last few months. Um, Yeah, he, he looked great. I mean, he looked absolutely great. Now, Oklahoma's defense I feel like didn't, take advantage of opportunities to bring him down necessarily when they got them. I mean, he's a tough dude. He's a big physical runner. That's going to happen. You're, you're not going to play quarterbacks like this every single week. You're going to play a lot of good running quarterbacks, a lot of big or athletic quarterbacks, but not nearly as many that have the same physical capabilities as him. Like he's just a power runner kind of, not to the same level. Don't get me wrong. He's not Tim Tebow. He's not Cam Newton, but in a similar ilk, just a guy that's difficult to bring down. And I think that's what showed on Saturday night is that when Oklahoma did get a hit on him, they weren't able to bring him down first contact all the time. And he averaged nearly four yards per carry after contact. So that's pretty good for a guy that ran the ball as much as he ran the ball for for Nebraska or for Nebraska, for Kansas State um last night, and so yeah, I, I think that's still the troubling, kind of lingering question is how does Oklahoma's defense respond to this? Because I mean, they got punched in the mouth all night. I mean, and it was kind of a bloodbath a little bit. Oklahoma made a few stops, but never was able to kind of sustain that momentum defensively, especially in the second half when they really need to to get a stop. Kansas state was just able to continue to pile up points. And we, we talked at length about the third and 16 and, and even talked with some friends today, you know, at church and with my wife and we're just still all kind of flabbergasted. Like, how did they allow the third and 16 to happen? Brent middle spoke on that and that there was supposed to be a spy on Adrian Martinez. And it just went away. The spy was taken out of commission somewhere along the line. And, yeah, I think I think Brent Venables' comments after the game where he said he saw a lot of things in this game that they hadn't seen out of this team and I don't think he meant that in a positive way. I think that's very true for for a lot of us is that this was a really surprising game and that they performed at a level that was way below expectation.
1: Yeah, um what else can you say about the third and 16 that hasn't probably already been said? I that that is a fascinating remark from Brent Venables, how that could happen in that situation. I just don't understand. If you have a quarterback spy on, then how do you magically forget that you're the one spying the quarterback? So I don't know who to point the finger at on that deal. That's uh, obviously just horrible. I mean, I don't know what else you can say about that. That's really, really bad in a third down at 16 situation. If you had the spy on and magically all of a sudden now you don't have the spy on, we saw that ultimately that's what uh, won the game for Kansas state or in part won the game for Kansas state. That was the, the final nail on the coffin. There's so many other plays I'm sure that we can point to that went wrong. That just gets magnified because it's the, the final big mistake for Oklahoma. And now really the question becomes John. Okay. So Brad Vittable saw a lot of things that he didn't like from this football team. How do you get those fixed? You know, the Oklahoma historically, historically has been good bouncing back from losses. uh, I know that we're going to have sort of an extended discussion on kind of what Oklahoma's history has typically looked like after losing big 12 openers. But I mean, positives, do you, do you have any positives from this game? I saw a bunch of people that are really down and out on Dylan Gabriel, and this is probably just the immediate social media reaction, the emotional response. But I mean, I've seen people out there talking about, man, I can't wait until Jackson Arnold gets here. He's going to start straight away. And look, was Dylan Gabriel perfect? No, I don't think that he was, but I don't know that you can sit here and objectively look at this game and say that Oklahoma lost this thing because of Dylan Gabriel's play.
0: Well, Brent Venables went so far as to say that they didn't lose because of Dylan Gabriel's play. He played well enough for them to win. I think what happens is you see two big throws that were misses, glaring misses by your quarterback the slugger route to drake stoops where he had him dead to right like they had the defense dead to rights he and they talked about on the broadcast you put a little bit more loft on that ball and it's a completion and drake stoops runs away for a touchdown and then you had again the fourth and three drake stoops wide open nobody bothering to to come down into the box to cover him and they can't connect on that one and those two glaring misses they get amplified in a game like this when you lose by one score and you miss a touchdown, and a drive goes away because you miss a fourth and three, that amplifies everything. It magnifies everything, and it it kind of leads to a bit of an exaggeration about his play. They're not there without that beautiful deep ball to Marvin Mims. They're not there without some of the other great throws that he made in this game. At the same time, he left a little bit on the table, and we've seen that several times now this season where we're like, okay, it could have been a little bit better. He could have, if he hits this throw to Jaleel Farouk against Nebraska, his stat line looks a little bit better. The score ends up being a little bit better. Now it didn't ultimately matter because they won going away, but as the competition gets tougher, you have less room for error. So when you make a miss or you have a miss that's as glaring as the Drake Stoops sluggo and the out route that they missed on it, it just means a little bit more. Sorry to steal the SEC phrase. We're not there yet, but it does. It means more when you have those misses. But he did play well. Like I thought he played, you know, I'd probably give him a BB plus again for his play in this game. You needed him to come through in those clutch moments, and he didn't. I think there's still room for improvement from Drake or from Dylan Gabriel. I, I have a bigger issue a little bit with some of the play calling. I, I we love Jeff Levy. I think there was some really good things that they did when they came out in the second half and they tried to establish the run with Eric Gray. I mean, they were having their way with Kansas State's you know, defense until they started getting penalties that were killing drives. But let's look at, you know, we, we were talking about it before that we came on the show. Like some of Jeff Levy's play calling was kind of conservative in nature, in my opinion. He had eight throws behind the line of scrimmage, eight. He was seven of eight for eight yards and a touchdown. That one touchdown was the Braden Willis one where they kind of ran the cute little pick play behind the line of scrimmage that got Willis open. And, and that was a great play because there was a, a bot, you know, bobbled snap. They tried to, you know, fake the handoff at the mesh point to Eric Gray, and he still had the wherewithal to get the ball to, to Braden Willis, who was able to get into the end zone. But other than other than that, throwing behind the line of scrimmage didn't really net you much. It actually was kind of a net neutral because you only gained eight yards. Like, so maybe technically it's a net positive, but it didn't really do anything for you. He was really good when he was throwing the ball down the field. We look at pro football focus, they do a great job mapping out throw charts and on throws 20 yards or more down the field, he was three of six for 106 yards in the touchdown. Now 50%, that may not seem like great, but if you're hitting more than 30 or 40% of your throws down the field, greater than 20 yards, that's a pretty good day in my opinion, because those are high leverage throws high degree of difficulty. And he was, you know, 50% accurate on those throws on throws 10 to 19 yards down the field. He was five of six for 104 yards, two touchdowns. And then he had 23 throws that were short of 10 yards, including the eight that were behind the line of scrimmage. And he was efficient, but it just didn't do it as much for Oklahoma offensively as they were getting the ball down the field. I don't mind a few screen passes, a few tunnel screens, a few of the, you know, the wide receiver flare outs. I don't mind a few of those every game, like three, four, maybe at the most. Eight's too much. Eight is you're you're throwing the ball backwards in space with very with without like with wide receivers and tight ends blocking. It's not a great recipe for success, in my opinion. I'd rather you just hand the ball off if that's the play call we're gonna go with. Because you have a greater chance, I think, of getting positive yards, as we saw in this game, with Eric Gray and Marcus Major running the football, than you are throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage, which gives the defense time to react and make a play. Then you, I, I think, I just think they would have been better running the football in those situations or pushing the ball down the field. That's where I have more of an issue. Obviously, the Dylan Gabriel misses were a bit, you know, again they were amplified. They were they were huge in the moments. But I think overall, he was still good. I wouldn't say he was great because a, a great performance would have meant Oklahoma wins this game. But he was good enough. Good enough just this time wasn't good enough. Um, that's kind of where I stand on that.
1: Well, and, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and argue with fans. I mean, you got to – we hear all the time, make the makeables. And those two throws that you talked about in a game like this that Oklahoma goes on and loses – you got to make those. I mean, it is what it is, right? And so for those that are disappointed in the play that they got from Gabriel, uh, you know, mostly it was good, but ultimately it wasn't good enough. So, I mean, what else can you say on that other than it needs to get corrected And when you have those throws in the future? You hope that Gabriel the kind of guy that, again, can, can make those throws. I think that he is, but uh, obviously we're going to find out as this thing goes along. Just real quickly uh, before we jump to – what uh, sort of this means for Oklahoma going forward. Can they rebound and still win the Big 12 championship? All those fun things. Uh, I, I'm with you. I, I hear what you're saying about Jeff Levy. It'll be interesting to hear from him, uh, sort of his own self, self-eval self will what? Hear from Levy, uh, I think, tomorrow is uh, when they'll meet with uh, the media. So I'm sure that he's going to have some kind of serious soul-searching coming out of this game. But you just look at the final numbers and 220 yards – net rushing six and a half per carry. So for you to sit here and tell us, hey, I would have liked to have just seen Oklahoma turn and hand off in those situations. I don't think you're going to get a lot of pushback on that when the numbers are what the numbers were.
0: Yeah, because they came out of the, in the second half in particular. In the first half, they weren't great running the ball. I mean, I think they averaged just like 3.6 yards per carry running the ball in the first half. In the second half, they were fantastic. Like Eric Gray was finding all kinds of running room and he was playing like the explosive player that we saw in Nebraska. He ended up with over 100 yards rushing on the day. So let's do more of that. It's like you get across the 50 yard line and then all of a sudden you decide we're not going to hand off the Eric Gray anymore. It, it was just a weird dichotomy of play calling at times, but that's just kind of what happens in a tight game. Sometimes, you know, you kind of outthink yourself, you instead of just going with what's working, you decide to, to get a little bit cute. Now the play action game was working a lot of times when those run game, the run game was setting that up and it was working pretty well. The Marvin Mims deep ball, the, Theo Wee's deep ball as well, the Theo Wee's touchdown, both big plays that came off play action. Hey, we're going to talk about some of the positives coming out of this, and hey, Oklahoma still has a chance to win the Big 12. They still have a chance to do something. We'll talk about that, but first, we're going to talk to you about LinkedIn These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Make sure you go to LinkedIn. They got simple tools like screening questions. Make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. I've been part of hiring at times and it's hard. It's hard to know exactly what you're getting from the person that you're interviewing and the person that you eventually hire. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But LinkedIn's got you set up with these great hiring questions and screening questions that can help you get the right people into your business, into your company a lot quicker than you might from some other job sites so it's why small businesses rate linkedin jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors linkedin jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college that's linkedin.com slash one word locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply okay josh we have i mean mike how he's he's one of the goat you know communicators uh strategic um communication at the university of oklahoma he threw this little nugget out there on the timeline on twitter last night he says including tonight ou football has lost its big 12 opener five times going back to 2006 on each of the four previous occasions the sooners won the big 12 title you and i went through this before the the show in 2006 It was Texas. That was actually their big 12 opener, which was kind of weird. We talked about that. 2007 was Colorado. 2012 was Kansas state and 2020 was Kansas state as well. So we've got a little bit of a trend going on here with Kansas state in the opener. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that, Josh?
1: Well, it shows that Oklahoma first and foremost, and keep in mind that obviously across all of these, you're talking about, you know, at times three different head coaches, so how, how is that going to factor in, uh, you know, the program itself, Oklahoma has shown it's capable of doing this, right? They can lose their Big 12 opener and whether it's rattle off and win every remaining game and win the Big 12 championship or if it's, you know, drop one more along the way and then get into the Big 12 championship game and win it. Whatever the format or fashion has been, Oklahoma has the track record for doing that. So I, I don't know that. I mean, do we qualify that as a positive for OU? I mean, you, it's kind of that age-old thing to where, you know, I, I've never really, John, subscribed to the you have to lose to Im- improve or get a message across, right? I, I, I've always kind of hated that logic. And that's sort of the same thing here is like, yeah, it's, it's good, I guess, that Oklahoma has the track record for having lost openers and then, you know, the last four times going on and. Win the Big 12 Championship. It's been done. We'll see if this group, obviously with a, a new leader in Brent Venables and plenty of different faces, if they can can do what these last four suitor teams that lost their opener did.
0: It's a stat that's similar to me, like the NFL one that no head coach has won a Super Bowl at one spot and then gone on to win a Super Bowl at another spot. Like that's the one you always hear about, you know, with Retread. I, as a Dallas Cowboys fan, had to hear about it ad nauseum with Mike McCarthy being hired. You know, a head coach that's won a Super Bowl somewhere else—they rarely, they don't ever go on to win a Super Bowl at another place. That's the trend, but it really doesn't mean anything. Like, th- it's not something that you can actually point to as like, as like, yes, we're never going to win a Super Bowl with Dallas with Mike McCarthy because nobody's ever done it. It's just one of those interesting coincidences, and just yeah, it's interesting. The same thing goes for this, I think. I think what it does say is like, Hey, there's still a chance that Oklahoma can do something this season. They still have a big 12 title that they can chase that. If they are able to win the big 12 title, it could potentially put them back in a college football playoff race. I mean, we're a long way from that. We got a lot still to prove, but hope is not completely lost. I was doing the angels in the outfield kind of waving as you're talking about it. Cause I'm like, I'm just picturing the kids saying it could happen, you know, as, anything's possible. And it is, you know, this team lost two games back in 2020 and still won the big 12 title. So we're not going to hit the panic mode just yet, but they've got a lot to improve on. And this week against TCU will provide another stiff test for this defense with Max Duggan, a pretty athletic running quarterback, Quentin Johnston, one of the best wide receivers in the country. And Sonny Dykes, a pretty good offensive mind. So they're going to be tested again. And from the looks of it, they're going to be tested every single week in the big 12. Like there's not going to be an off week this year. You look up and down the schedule and everybody looks tough. I mean, Iowa state who I thought was going to be down this year. They played Baylor really tough West Virginia. They had a rough start to the season, but they've played a, they played a really good pit team really close. They just whipped Virginia tech in Blacksburg which is a a big win. Yeah, they lost to Kansas, but Kansas is looking pretty good and they played that game close too. So it's like from top to bottom, this is a conference that's going to test you every single week this season. There's not going to be any gimmies on the schedule. And so if you are going to be able to get to the big 12 title game, you're going to have run the gauntlet and you're going to be tested every single week along the way. And it'll prepare you for what will be a a tough big 12 championship game, whoever you face. I mean, at this point, the conference is completely wide open and we can talk about that maybe on tomorrow's show, but all is not lost for Oklahoma. There were still some good things that happened on Saturday night, even though they ended up losing. We just talked about the running game. You know, Eric gray came out in the second half, just like somebody lit his butt on fire. It was in the offensive line. They just were playing well. They looked like a dominant unit. One question I have is like why does it take time for that to occur? Kansas State was the same team in the in the second half as they were in the first half. Like what adjustments why do we have to make those adjustments late in these games? Why can't we come out just firing on all cylinders right away? That's kind of one of the lingering questions I have and it seems like also for the defense it's almost like they have to get hit in the mouth a little bit and have a team score on them in order to wake up a little bit. It happened against Nebraska you know, Kansas state got two touchdowns on the board. And then finally they kind of woke up a little, got a few stops, but it didn't sustain. So yeah, there's still a lot of lingering questions about this team, but is there anything positive that you could take away from this game as they look forward to TCU?
1: Oh, I just think, you know, a, a number of the items that you touched on, this will be maybe a little bit off the radar for people. And obviously Oklahoma doesn't win the game. So take this with a little bit of a grain of salt, But, I mean, look, no duh, you don't want to start the game falling behind 14 to nothing. But I thought it was impressive that Oklahoma was able to fall behind 14 to nothing and then pull even fairly quickly in this game. So I think that, you know, going forward, that's potentially something to build on. Uh, Again, I mean, I'm not suggesting that you try and make it a habit to fall behind like that. And ultimately, I mean, you, you could then turn and make the counter argument, John, that, well, they spotted those 14 points and kind of were playing catch up the rest of the way and never really quite got back over the hump. So I, I do understand that portion of it. But if Oklahoma gets into a similar pickle somewhere down the road, Oklahoma has shown itself, okay, we're, we're capable of erasing a double-figure deficit. So I think that was something that's probably going to get lost in translation coming out of this game that was a positive for OU. And then a, a lot of the things that you mentioned, I thought Eric Gray Again, uh, ran really, really effectively for Oklahoma. Any problems that we would have thought Oklahoma had in the backfield, I have no concerns about what the running back situation looks like for Oklahoma now and for the remainder of the season. Feel pretty good there. Quarterback run game, Dylan Gabriel, again, uh, some nice things at times in this game. And, you know, Gabriel, despite, you know, missing a couple of throws that he'll be the first to tell you, I, I need to have that throw. I still thought he he did plenty of good things in this game, too. So, offensively, it was largely solid performance. It wasn't a perfect performance. wasn't a great performance. They had some key misses that ultimately lost them the game. But, ultimately, John, I mean, when you score 34 points against a Big 12 team, probably you should win that game. And the hope was that this defense was turning the corner to where that was going to be the case for Oklahoma now uh, in the present and then obviously going forward. But – Some questions to be answered, but I don't think all hope is lost. Again, what we started this little portion right here talking about, Oklahoma's got a track record of doing this. Now, we'll see, right? We'll we'll see if they can rally uh, themselves one more time and go win a Big 12 championship. They're capable of it. You know, what you mentioned about the conference itself, I'm with you. I mean, I think this is – maybe this is cliche to say, but top to bottom, this is the best I think the Big 12 has been in a long, long time. And really that's because of Kansas, right? Because of uh, Kansas and West Virginia and Iowa state or Texas tech who beats Texas this past weekend, these teams that maybe we thought were going to be at the very bottom of the league. Now, all of a sudden there's no, there's no pushover games. That being said, John, I still feel Oklahoma is capable of beating every single team in this league when it plays its best. So that's a positive coming out of this thing too.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of where I land a little bit as well is, as bad as things looked last night, one, they're not going to play a quarterback that's as physical as Adrian Martinez. Maybe Donovan Smith might be the closest thing to that. They're going to, you know, Jalen Daniels, he's an elusive player, very elusive. going to be hard to bring down, but in a different way. If you get to him and you wrap him up, if you're able to wrap up on him, you should be able to bring him down. He's not going to break tackles in the same way Adrian Martinez did. Uh, same goes for Max Duggan you know, athletic player, but not somebody who's going to be bowling over your linebackers. You know, they might run away from your linebackers. This is going to be one of those games as we kind of look ahead to TCU a little bit where you're going to have to be more angle sound than you were against Adrian Martinez. Cause he showed off some deceptive speed that looked like it posed problems for Oklahoma's linebacker core. And so I think that is one thing, like, as we look forward, it's okay. It was really bad against the quarterback run game they may not have as many issues going forward because they're not going to be playing a guy that's as big as he is. I think it was like 6'2, 230 or something like that. And as strong and who plays with a lot of, a lot of balance, like he was just really nimble on his feet too. And so I, I think that's kind of one of the positive takeaways is we may not have to see a guy like Adrian Martinez again, until maybe playing Adrian Martinez and Kansas state in the big 12 championship game, potentially as good as they looked yesterday, I wouldn't put it past them. So Uh, I thought Jalen Redmond, I mean, if we're going to look for any kind of bright spots on the defense at all, I thought he played a a really good game. Like he was the only one on your defensive line that was getting any kind of consistent pressure. He got five pressures according to pro football focus like that. That was huge. And he was in the backfield a lot and making plays happen, but you needed somebody else to step up too. So it's encouraging signs from Jalen Redmond. want to see more from the defensive line. You got to have more than just one guy that's getting penetration. Um, and then, yeah, we, we talked about Eric gray. I, I thought he rebounded really, really well from a rough first half Marcus major. I thought played well in the first half. I mean, at halftime I was calling for him to get more, more opportunities because he was playing physical and setting a tone a little bit, which was helping the offense kind of get back into this game. I don't mind that they went back to Eric gray. Cause he came out explosive and I mean, he had five runs of 10 yards or more missed or uh, forced four missed tackles. Um, So just a really good game from him overall too. So there are positive things the wide receiver core looked pretty good. Um, No kind of glaring drops from them. Marvin Mims, Theo Weiss, Jalil Farouk, Drake Stoops all looked good. We're getting open. Um, And when they weren't getting open, Jalil Farouk in particular was making some really impressive contested catches. I know they highlighted that one slant that he caught on like a third and short where, I mean, he had the defensive back was just running through him. I mean, clean it was not going to be a penalty in any stretch but Jalil Farouk just played that really tough uh, and came away with the with the play so I thought that was really encouraging the way the offensive line responded in the second half was really encouraging and I thought the pass protection was pretty decent in the first half from them so offensively a lot more encouraging signs than defensively but still there are some positive things that we can take away from this
1: I'm just looking one, one final trip around sort of the stat book, if you will. Isaiah Co finishes with a couple of TFLs in this game. Downs had the one, and what, Redmond, who you talked a little bit about, and Jonah Laula each had half of a TFL, but that was it for Oklahoma. They only had the four tackles for loss, With for this Oklahoma team uh, is easily the lowest output of the season and, you know, obviously uh, no sacks. Of Adrian Martinez so that was uh, unfortunately collectively a step in the wrong direction for Oklahoma defensively who they want to be and who they have been John that's that's not really OU or it hadn't been so far in 2022 and obviously now we see can they go on the road and and get that corrected against the TCU team that I think is uh, certainly capable of beating OU John
0: One other kind of stat note here too is Oklahoma was on the field defensively for 85 plays. Yeah. 85. Here's the list of the guys who played all 85. Billy Bowman, Danny Stutzman, David Agwebu, Deshaun White. It's a problematic to me. And I think that's something we kind of were concerned about heading into the season was the linebacker depth. It's a little bit problematic that your linebackers are on the field for all 85 plays. You I I get everything that they said about Jerry Cannett coming out of the Nebraska game that he doesn't know what he's doing. And and he was wearing an elbow brace, but you thought he was healthy enough to play on special teams. Perhaps we need to give him an opportunity to get out there on the field and give these guys a bit of a breather. Like that's a lot. That's a lot of playing time that these guys so it's not necessarily surprising that they were maybe potentially wore out at the end of the game. I know we talked about the Schmidty built thing, but that's that's enough plays to wear anybody out. I don't care who you are; you could be Usain Bolt, like, or Carl Johnson, or Carl Lewis. Sorry, not Carl Johnson. Carl Lewis, Michael Johnson is the other runner. Um, you know, somebody who's got great endurance. But I mean, eighty-five plays eventually is going to wear you out. Um, other notes like Marcus Stripling, he only played sixteen snaps, and so they were re- relying a lot on kind of their main guys, Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes, both played more than fifty-six snaps this week. Um, Jonah Laula 38 snaps. And so they had a pretty healthy rotation, but I mean, they, they, the depth was a bit of an issue. We'll see how that kind of continues to translate. But I think that is probably the thing that we were talking about a little bit last night is it may take some time for Brent Venables to get this defense where he wants it to be, because as they had to get deeper into the depth chart, it, the results weren't great. Um, And he mentioned that himself, actually, in the offseason. He said, you know, Clemson's defense didn't turn into Clemson's defense right away. It took a couple years. It took a couple recruiting classes to establish what we wanted to establish there. So all that to say... I don't know what to say, but this Oklahoma team, I mean, they, they've got a lot to work on. They got a lot to improve upon to make sure that they can go into Fort Worth next week and get a dub against a TCU team. That's looking pretty solid to start the season, you know, big win over SMU uh, in a rivalry game there. We'll see. We'll see. Because at this point, I don't know what to think. I think offensively they'll look good. Defensively. I still want to see more.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, pretty much everybody's at is offensively and and even you know offensively we've talked about quite a bit last night and today some of the offensive shortcomings too so uh not to completely let them off the hook obviously there were some plays out there that you know needed to be made by gabriel in, in particular that were not so we'll see we'll see what happens next with this team i mean you hope that it resembles past oklahoma teams and i think that they're good enough for it to resemble past Oklahoma teams where they can rally this thing together and, you know, who knows, rip off eight wins in a row to, to close this regular season and then get into the Big 12 championship game or seven of eight, right, to, you know, really make it a strong finish to the year and, you know, whatever it would take to get into the Big 12 championship game as a one or two loss Oklahoma. This team's capable of doing that. Let's see if Brent Venables and his staff can push the right buttons to make that a reality.
0: Yep, that's going to be the big question heading into this week: is how do they rebound from what was a disappointing performance? And I know that they're going to having those conversations in the locker room, in the meeting room, and on the field as well to try and get those guys' mind right about just focusing ahead on the next game. Uh, but that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, we're free and available on all podcast platforms. Just go subscribe to the show over on YouTube as well. Approaching twenty seven hundred hundred subscribers trying to get the 3,000 by red river showdown. So help us get there by hitting the subscribe button and that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at locked on sooners. Follow Josh on Twitter at Josh on ref and myself at John nine Williams. Check him out Monday through Friday from nine to noon on 94, seven, the ref.com or 94, seven, the ref and Norman on the ref app as well. And you can read my work covering the Sooners over at the SoonersWire.com. But until next time, he's Josh Elmer. I'm John Williams. We'll catch you then. Boomer Sooner.